You're listening to the Hex Devs podcast. I'm your host, Thiago. And I'm your co-host, Stephanie. This episode is sponsored by VanHack. VanHack helps tech talent get a job abroad. VanHack also helps companies hire amazing tech talent from all over the world. Givieta, welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming today. Sure. So, Gui is from Brazil and we work together at Lindesk and he has many years of experience with Ruby on Rails and he's also the monta maintainer of the Shura Matchers gem. So, if you are if you are a Rails developer, I'm sure you've heard about it. So, we are really excited to talk about all of that things with Gui. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background? Sure, so I'm Gui Vieira. I'm a senior software developer. I'm originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil. I moved to Canada a few months ago uh, in the beginning of this year. Welcome to Vancouver. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, I really enjoy the city. Yeah, it's amazing. And yeah, probably one of the best place to be a developer. So, yeah, been working with Ruby on Rails and some other technologies um, for a few years. And as she mentioned, uh, also one of the maintainers of the Shuda Matchers testing library, very known for like many Ruby developers. Sometimes it comes like some people think that it's like a default library it comes with our spec but actually not it's a separate library that's a library from thoughtbot I yeah believe? yeah the thoughtbot they created a lot of uh, gems like factory bot suspenders and also shuda and shuda matchers and they ma maintain some of those libra libraries uh, but some of them are not maintained by Thoughtbot employees anymore, like Shuda Matchers. And how did you end up being the current maintainer of the project? So when Rails 5 was being uh, getting some pre-release versions, like all alpha and beta versions, I was a really early adopter and I upgraded my app to Rails 5 Alpha or Beta 1 or 2. And then I realized that some libraries uh, were not compatible with the upcoming Rails 5. And one of them was Shuda Matcher, so I started doing some small contributions, uh, making the library compatible with Rails 5, solving also some deprecation, deprecation messages that you know, uh, they are so annoying in tests. And yeah, but little by little, I got more involved in the project. Uh, and after like some other, some few contributions, I got like commit access. And then I also got uh, like permissions to release to really become uh, an admin of the project. And a maintainer of the project. Mm -hmm. And how long has it has it been since you are maintaining it? 
So I started contributing to Shoot Amateurs in 2014 or 15. Uh, as a like the maintainer, one of the maintainers there, another guy that maintains a lot, that is a former, a former uh, employee of Thoughtbot. Um, I got like the all the permissions and everything. Um, I think it was 2017 or so. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And had you contributed to other open sources? Oh. Sorry, to other open source projects before was or was that your first experience? No, actually, I did some other contributions before to the matchers. I was very involved on payment systems, so I was comp contributing to some libraries with payment methods integration, like credit cards, banks, uh, especially uh, for Brazilian banks and Brazilian credit cards. It was a time where um, the Nokogiri gem was getting a lot of vulnerability issues because dependencies on like some external libraries. So almost every month, uh, those libraries uh, needed to have some uh, updates on the minimum versions of Nokogiri, some documentation, and sometimes those libraries uh, sometimes they don't get all features that the company provides. Sometimes you have uh, an incomplete access to all the API features. So I did some contributions, especially for gems that provides provide integration with payment methods, credit cards, and banks before. Yeah. Yeah, I used to work with that kind of stuff, like payments and uh, banking-related stuff, and it's super annoying in Brazil because nothing is kind of, there's no standard, you know, so you have to, like, <laughs> figure out how to do this payment for this processor and, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's tricky to, to maintain this kind of project. Sometimes uh, companies provide some support for the gem, but um, sometimes you need some input from the community to improve the gem, to add new new features, mm -hmm. and have maybe a more robust gem as well. Mm -hmm. And why did you decide to contribute to open source projects? Like I know a lot of people that like you has a lot of experience in software development, but not not a lot of people contribute to open source. So what was, what motivated you to start? Um, my motivation was to fix things. Uh, sometimes things are, were breaking or not compatible with new versions of Ruby or Rails, or they have, sometimes you have um, enough new, nice feature available on the company API, but not in the gem. So it was like more a motivation of fix things and adding new features and sometimes being a early adopter of Rails or any other technologies. Uh, it It's easier to spot uh, places that can be improved and helps a lot. I remember my first contribution for Shuda Matchers. I was getting like some code reviews from 
other maintainer and it was like very basic code but you learn a lot because you are working with other people that have other experience uh, they can help you a lot to improve your code before merging and I never have any negative experience in open source like people are very open to receive contributions and the more you contribute uh, the gem or library gets better and then you start to encourage other people to contribute to the project as well mm -hmm. uh, do you think that the quality of your code when you're working like when you're doing like closed source stuff for your company and the code you do for open source do you think that the quality is superior when you're doing open source is there a difference oh that's a good question uh, yeah most like big open source projects they have very high code standards I'm not saying that you need to like to do fancy stuff uh, most of times you are encouraged to do very simple stuff but you most of open source projects um, have some standards and you have some iterations you need to improve your code improve documentation as well before merging it and also uh, it's it's hard to release new new versions because you are impacting uh, thousands of production apps so you need to be very uh, yeah strict and but it, it doesn't mean that it's hard but it you know you 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 need to do like your best there and it's also a place to improve your skills because you get input from other people and you end up with a nice mm -hmm. code you learn a lot and a lot of uh, open source open source projects they rely on some uh, CI integrations and some uh, static analysis like code climate and to keep the code base healthy. Mm -hmm. And how do you start? Like, actually, let me rephrase that. Let's say that I want to start contributing to open source. How do I find the project? Like, should I should I try finding one that solves a problem that I that I like or should I try fixing something that I use daily? What how, what do you think could be um, an approach for people that haven't contributed yet but want first to find which project to contribute to? Okay, I think you should uh, search for projects that you use daily, uh, especially libraries, gems, or tools that you really like, you enjoy, and that will motivate you to contribute. And some, some open source projects, they have some labels for issues that can be very easy for new contribu contributions um, especially there there's some 
new ways of doing this, uh, the Rust community, like with the Rust language and other uh, libraries, they are very good on this. Uh, they have special labels for, it's a good issue for first time contributors. Or, so that's something that we also do in Shudamatchers, but it's nice in the Rust community, that's something that started with the language and now most of libraries have the same approach. And it's so nice because they they tend to use the same labeling system. So sometimes the, there are some mailing, like weekly, Rust weekly, this kind of uh, mailing uh, newsletter that basically they go to some repositories, they filter by by labels and they publish uh, like 10 or or so issues that are very easy for new contributors and people get on their email and they start contributing right away. Uh, most of them can be like very low hanging fru fruits or there are some contributions that people don't think they are really like they are they are really like worth the the effort but sometimes when I get a contribution just to update the Ruby version on CI or uh, a typo on the on the documentation or some documentation that is incomplete I I feel so happy when I get this kind of contribution because it's from it's so useful, it has high impact on the users and it's there and there are a lot of them everywhere. Um, incomplete documentations, outdated versions in CI or so. Um, yeah, there are a lot of stuff that can be done with very, very little like friction and everyone with any code skill can can do. Mm. Yeah, so y you said that the Rust community is a good community to uh, help and also the Ruby community is very uh, friendly. Uh, do you know any other communities that are like nice to contributors or that are fun? Yeah, uh, it, the Elixir community it's very friendly as well, very... That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Elixir community is, is awesome. It's basically the Ruby community, <laughs> 2.0, something like this. Um, the Go community is, is very good as well. Uh, they have many projects that you can contribute to. So I think for the language and ecosystems that I'm more familiar with, uh, yeah, definitely Ruby, Elixir, Rust, and Go. They all have very nice uh, and friendly communities. Uh, just like contributing for the Ruby language can be harder because the um, it's mostly written in C. There's a lot of like Ruby code, especially for standard libraries, uh, but that you can contribute just knowing Ruby. And you don't need to no C to contribute to the Ruby language. Mm. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the reason I was asking 
your advice on how to find projects to contribute to is because I was talking to the, my team's team lead that I really wanted to try having like once a once a week um, at least one hour for the team to contribute to open source projects because I think that is really really valuable and the the project is built on Ruby on Rails which by itself is open source so we have a lot to give back to the community but then I was like ah but I don't know which projects can we contribute to maybe that can be like our first task I don't Show know the matters. yeah now yeah. we already know yeah 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 <laughs> um, I think every project use gems or libraries that they know that could be improved yeah because we use them on a daily basis mm-hmm. thinking about the maintainer side how do you make sure that people's contribution are being um, replied to how do you find the time to deal with the maintainer's responsibilities like you have to review the code reviews you have to create the issues how do you handle all of that yeah so a project like should the matters it's well known so people create issues themselves uh, sometimes i have some plans for the project so i create a few ones as well but creating issues is the easy part. Uh, The hard part is bug triage and issues triage as well. Uh, It takes a lot of time. Uh, Some, a lot of, a lot of issues or like bugs are not related to the library itself. They are more related to some like behavior that was uh, overridden so but but anyway you 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 should uh you should help the the person anyways so all the issue and bug triage uh that's the hardest part um and you you need to do like it regularly regularly uh because they yeah i think they are a lot that they can pile up and even yeah because even bugs that are not actually bugs it's not nice to leave them for like two or three weeks uh it it's very nice when you can reply uh, a bug or an issue in the same day or the next day people feel very very they feel that there are people working there and they they feel that uh, the, the maintainers really care about the user. So, uh, so as soon as you get an issue or a PR, uh, it's, it's very, it's very important to reply like the fastest as you can, even if you are not uh, doing like a final answer this is an issue or this is a bug even sometimes you just need more information so if you need more information it's important not to wait for one or two weeks to 
ask for more information because sometimes that person is delivering a project, it has its own deadlines, it's depending so in some uh, on some answer. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to find time, but you eventually find. What, what do you think about the sponsor feature on GitHub now? Because people now can sponsor projects yeah. easily. Yeah, it's promising. There are a lot of projects that like Open Collective that they they gather funds to sponsor some very important open source projects. There are a lot of big open source projects that started in a company and then now they are maintained by the community, but they need people to work uh, re regularly and maintain. Uh, the GitHub feature, the sponsorship feature should help because it's very close to the code. Like you see the code, you can sponsor, uh, especially for small contributions. Um, I'm not sure how they are planning to get like company contributions, company support, but at least for small contributions, it can help. Mm -hmm. Just like Patreon does for mm -hmm. a lot of uh, other content creators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And you mentioned about the Elixir community. You have also worked with Elixir, right? Yeah, yeah. So like being a Brazilian, like you see, I, I could see the Elixir community growing. Um, and yeah, I, I use Elixir in some projects. It can be very helpful for companies that are growing a lot and they have some scalability issues. Uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty nice ecosystem, uh, good community built um, over Erlang that's very good and like well-maintained as well. So it's, it's one of the technologies that are very promising. Actually, it's, it's already been used by big companies on big projects, but it for sure it has more room to grow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, did you ever contribute to any open source uh, Elixir project? No, not yet. There's there's a couple open source projects. One of them it's target to Elixir that I very I really want to contribute to. That's called You can remember it later. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember the name now. Oh it's not liquid, liquids mm. from Shopify. Something like this. Mm. Uh, but it's it's um implementation of a kind of Erlang VM in WebAssembly. Uh, obviously, it's targeted to Elixir users, but it's an implementation of the Erlang VM. But it's actually written in Rust. That's cool. Yeah, so that's a very nice project. It's very promising. It's not actually a VM. 
uh, but it has a lot of the niceties of the bean VM, the the Erlang VM. So that's a project that I would love to contribute to, uh, despite forgetting the name. But yeah, but it's actually written Rust. So I've been studying Rust a lot lately because there are so many uh, open source open source projects very promising written Rust. Another one is is um. Ruby implementation written Rust as well. It can be compiled to WebAssembly. You can just run Ruby in the browser. Okay, so after doing some googling <laughs> here, yeah, the name of the uh, implementation, the WebAssembly implementation of the LangVM written Rust is Lumen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so going back a little bit to, um, well, it's related to the Shooter Matchers Jam. It's about, my question is about testing. I must say that I still don't feel quite comfortable writing tests. Like I still feel like I don't understand it fully, especially with RSpec, because you have so many things involved just to test something, you have to write so many other things, right? Uh, so that, it's still overwhelming to me. Like I'm getting better at it, I'm mm -hmm. studying it, but it it's, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm just writing code. Like I don't know if I'm just writing code or if I'm really writing a test. Like oh, okay. it's, it's <laughs> fine, so how do, you, well, what is your advice to getting better at testing, like especially for beginners? Because nowadays, like testing is becoming more popular, but it's still it's something that you learn a few months or years after you learn how to code. Yeah, it takes a while to get to get comfortable with tests, maybe years uh, for beginners, or if you are not comfortable with tests at all. Uh, try to, you could try to start with integration tests. So if you have uh, a full, like um, an app that actually hinder pages, you can use uh, integration tests for Rails, you can use Capybara or similar ones. Rails has integration tests built in as now as well. And if you have an API, you can use you can do a request test. That it's a kind of integration test as well, because you know your final goal. You know the the main behavior that you are targeting targeting to. Um, sorry, you know the main behavior that you need to have, like at the end of your code. For Unit tests, it can get more tricky. Uh, it's hard to know if you are doing, you are d testing too much or too little. Um, but it works the same for a class. You have a public method. You can think the behavior that you you want to that you want the, the method to have. So if I pass the 
the arguments, which behavior should I have? And sometimes it's possible that for this case, an argument can be new, like an empty value. So how those new values are handled? Should they explode, raise an error, an exception, or it should be like more, uh, they should, I don't know, yeah, it's case by case, but basically um, testing the expected output for different inputs should be a very good way to test. And if you are testing the public method, you don't need to care about the actual implementation, like the other methods, the private methods, we usually don't test them. It's more testing the behavior than the implementation. So if you have a very clear idea of the final behavior, you can start doing on the on the integration level and then on the unit level mm. for public methods. Mm. Yeah, the the integration tests are really cool. Yeah, I remember yeah. that on my last project, I was using the new rail system tests a lot. Cool. That was pretty fun, actually. Yeah, it's fun. You, you, you don't feel like you're testing. I don't know. It's it's quite nice because you see like the computer doing all of the stuff and it's exactly like you said you you already have in mind what you want to see so i think it's it's easier yeah 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 integration stat tests can be fun um if you have the opportunity to use them you should definitely use mm -hmm. um same for apis you can use request tests and for me like doing tdg on a daily basis it's it makes it makes development uh, a more a more nice and enjoyable experience because I'm more confident of the code and everything is working, nothing is breaking. So let's mm -hmm. just ship it. Yeah, that is a a good practice. I think that some people don't don't quite understand what is the value of TDD, so they don't try it i guess but i i think that it's because it's really hard to try it by yourself like at first i think that when you see someone else applying that technique and then you understand the benefit the benefits of it yeah. then it it gets easier because then you you see oh that's a different way of developing right but that said do you think that tdd is applicable to any projects or is there some type of project that you that comes up in your mind where you say well it, it might not be a good fit for tdd the um, bad projects yeah <laughs> i'm not sure i am um, like a few years a few years ago some people could argue that sometimes it can be it can it slows the development down, but even Thoughtbot they they started going to some hackathons and using TGG in hackathons, and they could prove that they were very successful. 
on doing TDD at hackathons with very limited time and resources. Um, I don't see. Okay, you actually you don't need to be very strict with TDD. Sometimes you need to explore some code, especially if you are uh, on a new code base or you're just experimenting how to how to solve some kind of problem. So that's okay. Just explore a bit, and you, when you see uh, a good path to continue your development, you can then start um, writing some tests. It shouldn't be like district red, green, and refactor from the beginning. You can, you totally can explore a bit uh, before actually doing tests. But I think uh, it, it should. It, like testing code is a press for modern development and there's no way out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um, it's almost like a muscle that you have to train. Like testing is kind of a muscle. Like when you start doing tests, you kind of don't understand them very well. It's hard to test. But then after a while, after some training, it becomes easier and easier. And then it becomes more obvious. Like, oh, how should I test this? And how should I write the code to make it easy for me to test it? Yeah, yeah. It's just like coding. It start the, the beginning is very hard, but then you have some muscle memory. And after a while, when you, got, when you get more comfortable with tests, when it's, it's being like harder, hard to write tests, maybe your code or approach is not the best one. Uh, that's another benefit of writing tests. If your code that is very hard to test, maybe you should you are doing you should be doing uh, another approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting back in time a little bit, uh, so you have a BA, right? Yeah, I have. And a lot of experience with digital arts. You also started an online business. Uh, which was about computer graphics education. So you created this educational platform and ran the business for six years. W- were you also like a teacher? Were you teaching digital arts? Yeah, so yeah, I have a BA in digital arts. It's audiovisual. It's and I my main focus was computer graphics, especially 3G and visual effects. So I s- worked on this area for many years and then after a while I started teaching and I ended up creating an online platform for computer graphic courses and it was a very very nice experience one of my most intense professional experiences so basically I I locked it on my apartment for a an year and I built the the online platform and I ran the business for many years. It was uh, very nice and successful and it was very rewarding because through education we can actually change people's lives or at least help them to achieve their goals. Yeah, and that was a very nice, intense experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. And 
did you but but you had a BA so how did you learn how to code in order to build the platform okay yeah so coding uh, it was something that I I was I was always curious to to try I did some code coding when I was a kid like basic mm. I used to have a MXX computer where I could do some like small games and menus to like when it it goes it loads like game A to co uh, loads game B um, but when I started my uh, at the college uh, I I went to another path that I could work with computers but in a more applied way so since the beginning I was more, more involved with computer graphics and post-production uh, video encoding streaming and visual effects I wasn't actually programming but I was doing a lot of things with computers managing uh, large files and encodings and a lot and then I started coding to automate automate some stuff. So coding since the beginning was a way to improve things and yeah, a, a way of improve your professional like skills and make your professional life easier. And then I started uh, learning uh, more, but when I decided to create the online platform for computer graphic courses courses uh, it was like owing I could I, I needed to stud like full-time and while I was building some stuff so since the beginning coding was always related to building projects shipping actual features for customers or students that's really cool and, and tell me about the business like did you have a lot of people uh, a lot of subscribers to your platform how, how was that working it was very nice we had uh, about 24 2500 students in six or seven years and yeah it was a very intense experience I could work with awesome people, awesome teachers, having a, a very nice staff, and I could see a lot of people improving and improving their lives through education. Sometimes they were changing careers as well. Uh, so definitely it was a very rewarding experience. It wasn't easy to to leave, but yeah, sometimes you need to move on, move on, and because sometimes you have other doors opening to you, and you need to mm -hmm. move on. Mm -hmm. And do you miss having your own company like that? Do you think, yeah, about doing the same here in Canada? Yes. Uh, so I'm learning a lot, like new country, new culture, uh, 
definitely the way companies are built here are very different. We have more funding opportunities here. Um, and I, not, I don't have any short-term plans for another company, but that's something that I know that eventually will happen again. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, someone said that once you are a founder, you can never go back, <laughs> you know? So if you're a founder, you're always a founder. So eventually, even if you're working for someone else, for a company, you still have that mindset of, hey, I, sh I could build this, I could make this better, I could maybe turn this into a more profitable business or, or something like that. So li I think that when you get that experience of building something from nothing, you get so much experience from that and then you can apply that uh, to everything, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. You, you definitely have some different insights uh, because you, you're not just seeing the code, but you're actually aware of the business. So how did you end up here in Vancouver? Yeah, so um, I lived in London with my wife for one and a half year. Then we moved back to Brazil and then we realized that we wanted to move abroad again. Uh, we could move back to London, but you know, Brexit and everything else. And I've been in Canada 12 years ago, just for a month, just to visit, and I knew that it could be a good opportunity for us. Um, so after realizing that we wanted to move abroad, Canada was the best option. Uh, we we like the Canadian culture, and it could be, and it is a, a good fit for us. So when we decided to go to Canada, we started to study for language exams and everything. And after a few months, I, I, a friend of mine told me about Van Hack. So this company that does recruitment for only for uh, relocation positions, positions with relocation. And after joining Van Hack, I was contacted by a company um, one or two months after, and then I got hired by a Canadian company that's based here in Vancouver. I started working remotely for them, and after a few months, we started the, the, the process for the work permit, the visa that allows to work in Canada. but. Uh, but before this, me and my wife, we were applying for the permanent residence. Uh, so basically, I was applying for the work permit, and she was like the main applicant for the permanent residence. Because, yeah, and then, so after a few months, I got my work permit, we moved to Canada, and then a few months, we got our PR. So mm, congrats. Yeah, so we, we started with the PR, then I got the work permit, and after, the f after moving, the PR process was complete. So we are very happy now. We are more stable here. <laughs> so yeah, 
really really happy to be here yeah, that's pretty cool uh, which process was it was it the global skills yeah it was the global, global talent, talent skills yeah, yeah. Stream, yeah I guess. stream yeah, yeah. Go yeah. global talent stream yeah, yeah it, it's supposed to be a very fast pro process yeah. but uh the final phase of my process was during the uh, holidays, mm. during the holiday season. So it was supposed to take two weeks and took like nine. <laughs> and yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, but you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, sure. Nice. Yeah, uh, I went through the same process, the global talent stream. And for me, it, it took me two weeks. Oh. Yeah, but it was uh, in August? No, it was. I think it was November. October. October, November. yeah. October, yeah. 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 And then afterwards, we also applied for the PR. Now we have the PR. Too. Cool, yeah. Awesome. So mm. <laughs> and so, how was the. the And how was the process of applying to the jobs in, in Canada? How did you. Did you find it really hard, like the the technical tests, the interviews? Yeah, so when I joined FunHack, I applied for a few positions, but I didn't get any answer from, from them. And after a while, uh, a company contacted me directly without having the position listed. So basically they had like probably access to the to the database, uh, yeah, to the yeah. developers base, and they contacted some of them. Um, about the the hiring process, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard in the beginning because it's in, in another language. Uh, I I I had some preparation classes for interviews with Van Hack as well that helped a lot uh, especially to to adapt to like cultural differences in interviews it's very easy to adapt but it it's so much easier when you have someone that oh that's the way it works here and it helps a lot and yeah but about the technical challenges, like coding challenges, they are almost the same that we have in Brazil. Sometimes they are small projects or you need to pair with someone else on a small project, maybe fixing an issue or doing some code reviews for, for, for a, a very specific project. Mm -hmm. And from your Canadian experience, what do you find it more different from the Brazilian experience? For work or for uh, everything? Yeah, for wor from work, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the work culture in Canada, it's, it's very good. They have a very good balance in between. Um, they value work-life balance here. And yeah, th that's something that helps a lot. Um, what else? It's uh, companies tend to be a very safe place to work. 
um, you usually have a lot of support when you need and in a city like Vancouver you have so many companies that are eager to grow and so there are a lot of opportunities to uh, doing some improvements they are usually very open-minded and they accept uh, new ideas or contributions to their projects especially when if they help the company to grow or to make things simpler as well or if you have some ideas to make the code base more maintainable as well so it's a very nice work, work culture here it's very easy to adapt to mm -hmm. yeah yeah i feel that here in especially in vancouver uh you're not always running are you from sao paulo yeah Sorry. yeah so in sao paulo you're always running you're always rushing there's rush hour and there's traffic and there's a bunch of stuff to do and have to pay your bills but here in vancouver you have like a simpler life i'd say like a, a nicer life yeah yeah it's definitely a a very nice city so you you have more time to enjoy time with your family or to go out even on weekdays sometimes in brazil people are just okay not doing not doing anything on weekdays and here you have the nature you have so many outdoor outdoor stuff to do here and yeah it's definitely a very nice city to be do you think that being uh, an open source contributor helped you get a job here yeah i'm i'm not sure i <laughs> i have to ask peop the people that hire me uh i never asked them about this it definitely helps because you are hiring someone that you don't know but you are already running his or her code on your project <laughs> 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 and it's not breaking so yeah it can be good uh, <laughs> that's yeah. a good headline for your resume yeah, yeah. you're probably running my, my code, code. <laughs> yeah <laughs> just pay me yeah. <laughs> but that's something that i i need to 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 ask people that hired me um yeah it, it can help and it can be another reason to contribute to open source projects but um if you want to contribute to open source projects uh you don't you don't have to to have this mindset oh i'm just doing some contributions can be it can can help me to get hired it it, it can but there are other things that you can do to improve your skills as well. Uh, for open source projects, if you contribute to projects that you actually use, it will be a very nice and useful contribution anyways. It, can, it, it will be useful for you, for your company, and for all the community as well. Mm -hmm. And what are your plans for the future? Do you plan to go back to working with Elixir or maybe working with other technologies? Rust. 
or rust. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for the future. That's tricky because so many things changed uh, in like the last two years. Um, I still adapting to uh, my new lifestyle and really enjoying it. Uh, I've been learning other languages as well. Elixir was mainly a bit of Go as well. It's more because learning other languages, especially modern languages like those, it makes you it make it makes your code better in your like day-to-day -day language. I remember when I started uh, studying and working with Elixir, my Ruby code changed a lot. I'm not saying that I'm doing like functional fancy stuff in Ruby. It's more that you are exposed to different thing, uh, different mm -hmm. ways of achieving the same goals, and it helps a lot. So for now, um, when I am learning Elixir or Rust, it's more to improve my skills, and they are awesome, awesome languages. Like it totally works to learn them, and probably for the f future, especially Rust. I think can be very useful to contribute to uh, some open source projects as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that also that that can also be applied to not only programming languages, but also like learning a new language. Like when you get here and you start speaking in English, you you kind of learn how to express yourself in a different way as well you you can get a lot from um from a culture from their languages yeah. and also the fact that you we all came from a different background that also gives us more a broader perspective and just to speak english for example yeah yeah, yeah it's the same yeah when you expose yourself to different experiences, you don't have to like move to yeah. <laughs> China if you are learning Mandarin. Yeah, but it definitely helps you to be more aware of your daily, day-to-day -day or native or second language. Uh, same for programming languages. When you're exposed to different languages, especially mm -hmm. modern ones, there's so many uh, modern languages and awesome ecosystems. We are in a in a time w where we have so many good stuff being done, and definitely helps a lot when you learn them. So, Guy, if someone that is listening to us right now wants want to reach out to you, how can how can they find you? Yeah, I'm not very active on Twitter or any other social networks, but you definitely can find me at LinkedIn. My name is Gui Vieira. It's G-U-I-V-I-E-I-R-A. And on GitHub as well, it's Gui Albuk. It's G-U-I, oh, sorry, G-U-I-A-L-B-U-K. Uh, you can find me on GitHub as well. Mm-hmm. And if you want to contribute to show the matchers, yeah, just just take a, a open issue or send me an email, a message, something like this. Cool. 
Guy, that was a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we learned a ton. Thanks so much for coming and sharing your experience with us. I hope that this will inspire people so they can maybe contribute to some open source projects. Maybe they can think about it. Maybe they can sponsor some projects. <laughs> some companies could do that. So thank you very much for coming today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And if you enjoyed this conversation, feel free to reach out to Guy and let him know that this was a cool conversation that you enjoyed. <laughs>